Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. My name is Ali and I know that we reach a lot of new people. If you're new and you want to take your next steps in our faith community, you got to just fill out one of these connect cards. Please fill out your social security number, your credit card number. <laughs> just kidding. Just making sure you're paying attention. Uh, but so it's your first step into community is by filling out this connect card stepping into community. And I, the second announcement, I, I'm going to talk more about this at the end of my sermon, is our very first ever bold conference. I don't know if it's on the screen, but I want to encourage you guys. We got less than 10 weeks away from what I believe is going to be a catalytic event in the history of our church. Uh, our theme is really around this, this idea for 2023 is word and spirit. And I don't want to share too much, but I'm just believing by faith. If you give God three days, your marriage, your faith, your life will forever be different. Amen? Amen. And uh, we are in a collection of talks starting today called Vision Builders. And some of you who uh, maybe are new to church and you think churches only talk about money, your booty's going to be like, because mm, that's what we're talking about for the next three weeks. It's okay. Everyone's talking about money right now with inflation. You can be uncomfortable, but with Jesus. Uh, and I got a g- great sermon that's going to challenge you. It's going to refresh you. And it's going to feel like I'm coming at you. And last week I, I preached. I was hyping you up. Today I'm going to feel like I'm coming at you. I'm going to teach today. Nice and slow. Going to rip your heart out. Give it to Jesus. It's going to be great. Y'all ready? When you see it on the screen, someone say amen. This is Mark chapter 14. Amen. Good. Never say it enough. Amen means I agree, by the way. Now the Passover, the festival of unleavened bread, were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming. It's a great word. To arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman. Someone say a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of, the, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, these are the haters hating, why waste this, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus says. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand for my burial. He's prophesying his death and resurrection, by the way. Truly, I tell you, whoever, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What we're going to do today is we're going to kind of do a case study on two people, on, these, on this woman who's unnamed and this other dude. I'm going to read you a story right now. Then Judas, someone say Judas, is scary. One of the 12 went to the chief priest to portray Jesus to them. 
They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. How much would I need to pay you for you to stop coming to church? What's your number? They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched, he being Judas, watched for an opportunity to hand him over. I want to preach to you around this idea, gaining and forfeiting. Gaining and forfeiting. Everyone has a choice. And sometimes you're going to think you're gaining one thing, but you're forfeiting another. And, and these, I'm going to do a case study on these two, these two people. This woman gave something. She, she, she gave something away. She forfeited the perfume, but she gained something. And Judas, he gained money, but he forfeited something else. And I want to challenge you. The choice is up to you. Okay, bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for your word that it's going to speak to us, it's going to change us, it's going to transform us. God, we may have walked in one way, Jesus, but we want to walk out this another way. Looking more like you, talking more like you, loving more like you. And if you believe that everyone said, Amen. everybody said, Amen. any movie buffs in the house? Any movie buffs in the house? A few nerds? Okay, very cool. You can raise your hand without being ashamed here. Uh, I loved movies so much when I was a sophomore in high school, my summer year. Summer, I worked at Blockbuster. R.I.P. Blockbuster, rest in peace, right? And that was the same year that AMA, American Music Association, uh, American Movie Association, released the 100 top movies of all time. I remember being an employee, like 14 years old, you know, like nerd.com, watching this list, like, I need to watch these movies, not knowing what makes a great movie. Sometimes great movies are made by great plots. The story's amazing. Sometimes it's done by great character development. Sometimes it's great actors who just bring that part to life. And what I realized is sometimes a great movie needs a great quote. That, you're, that after the movie's long gone, after you've walked out the theater, you're quoting that thing, you know? Like, like, it's, like it's part of your life. Now, I'm going to read you some quotes. I, I want you to shout out to me the name of this movie. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to tell you the movie, and then you guys tell me. I'm going to do the quote, and then I'm going to give you the quote. I want you to shout out the movie. Let me begin with, in 1977, one of the best movie franchises came out, Star Wars. If you haven't watched Star Wars, you need to repent and go home and watch these movies, okay? There's only nine of them. It's okay, but they're amazing. And one Jedi says to another, may the force be with you. You know. So you know. That's another quote that I say all the time. It's not a service without me saying that. And then in, in, the, in the 60s, a girl uh, w- with a straw man and a tin man, she tapped her feet and says, there's no place like. Oh. So you know, that's right. There's one more. Uh, 1995, I was a, in high school, young, the same summer that I worked at Blockbuster. And then he, I, literally three or four years ago, another version of this movie came out, a, a cowboy and a spaceman. They said, to infinity and... Yeah, that's right. So we, we remember these quotes long after the movie's over. And let me read to you some more. I'll be back. Terminator. My precious. Lord of the Rings. Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13. If you were to take the life of Jesus and put it in a movie, and it's been done multiple times, but the Gospels are, are huge. He, he said many, many things. It records a lot of his conversations, but there's one conversation. He says, this is the greatest commandment. This is his quote of quotes, his commands of commands, and it's, it's, look, it says this in Matthew 27. Jesus replied, love the Lord with all your heart. Someone say heart. And all your soul. Someone say soul. And all of your, with all of your mind. And it, sometimes Jesus says things that are difficult to, to process. They're hard to obey. This is not just religious activity. 
Jesus wants your emotions. You can't have one foot in the church and one foot out. He wants you to go all in. And, and Jesus says things later on. says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And it's easy to obey Jesus when you're on the mountaintop and he's blessing you. Will you obey him when you're being persecuted? Will you obey him when you're suffering? When you obey him when it costs you something? And Jesus says, man, it, you want this. The greatest thing that, that a follower of Jesus can do is to give me all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. And I'm not sure if you've ever read the Bible, but it, it's the only book that actually reads you. It's because the author's alive. All scripture is God-breathed. And the Hebrew chapter 4 says that scripture, all scripture is not only God-breathed, but in Hebrew chapter 4 it says the word of God is like a sword cutting between bone and marrow, spirit and, and, and bone. It's like, man, he, he goes to your motives, not just your thoughts and actions. He cuts to the root of not just what you're doing, but why are you doing what you're doing. And that word, that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, that word sword can probably better translate it scalpel. Because God's not a psycho with a knife trying to kill you. Amen? He's a surgeon with a scalpel trying to heal you. And no one, no one thanks God during surgery because it's painful and it's hard. You thank God after when you're healing. And Jesus says these, these three words during the sermon, all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And what, what, what is tricky about these words, there's so much overlap. It, with your mind, it's obvious. These are my thoughts. God wants all of my thoughts to be geared towards him. Don't just, don't just love God emotionally, but study. The same way that I study fantasy football, what are the trends? Come on. Anyone know what I'm talking about? God, some of you, you study stocks. Some of you study real estate. Some of you, you study, I don't know, history. God wants you to bring your mind and love him with your mind. Faith is not like a, a, an emotional thing. It's, a, it's, it's your entire being. And then he uses this word, I want you to love him with all your heart. And your heart, is, it speaks of your behaviors, your emotions, and your willpower. And what's confusing sometimes, if you read the commentaries, this word heart is the modern word for soul. And the word for soul that Jesus uses, actually the most common word is spirit. And D Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, your soul is the most important thing about you. It is your life. That when you're on this earth, the only thing that leads with you into the next life, into the afterlife, is your soul because your body's staying. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. Wow. You have a body. And many of you in this room, you spend all of your time working out, standing on a scale, measuring your macros, trying to get your body fit and tight. You want to be a hottie with a body, right? You put the retinols on, try to get the, the wrinkles go away. You, you inject Botox. Come on, I know what it's like. Come on. You're gluing your eyelashes on. You, you obsess about your body. But the scriptures are clear. The essence of who you are is your soul. And the soul is the only thing that's going to go with you into the next life. And Jesus says, if you want to love me with all of your heart, you've got to love me with your soul, the essence of who you are. Which is crazy because Jesus says one of the scariest things about our soul in Matthew 20, Matthew, Mark chapter 8, verse 36, it says, What good is it for a man to gain, someone say gain, the whole world but yet forfeit, someone say forfeit, his soul. What could a man give in exchange for his soul that everyone in this room, you're either gaining or you're forfeiting. And Jesus says the most valuable thing in your life 
It's not your 401k, your equity in your home, or the money you're making in the tech industry. It's your soul. And the choices that you make, you can either give it away or you can gain it. And Jesus says the, the most flourishing life, the life that's going to bring you the most fulfillment, is not when you give it away to the American dream. But when you come to Jesus and you give it to him. So often we don't realize this, but there's an enemy who wants to steal your soul. I remember I lived in L.A. Uh, where Six Flags Magic Mountain was, and I was there for two years. And I had a 1990 Volkswagen Jetta. Didn't have money to fix the lock, but so every time you'd open the door, you have to turn it twice, and then all the doors in the car would open. And then when you sat in the car and you wanted to get out and lock it, you had to manually push all the things down. And I'm forgetful. I I asked my wife, I, I, I forget to close the garage door. We'll leave for vacation. She's like, did you? I'm like, I think. I don't know. <laughs> so I would constantly leave my door open, but I didn't have anything expensive in it. And one time I actually did. They, they broke it. They didn't break it. They opened the door. I lo- forgot to lock. <laughs> and they stole my sunglasses. I was like, thank God they're Folkleys, right? Or the Fabans. The ones you, they look good at the gas station, but they're really cheap, you know? And then they stole worship music. I'm like, I hope you feel the conviction of God when you listen to this. But the only thing worse than a thief is a repetitive thief. He kept coming back like every three weeks. I just took everything out of my car. The enemy will never stop coming after your soul. He wants, he doesn't care about your 401k. He doesn't care about your career, the equity. He wants the most valuable thing that you have. And it's your soul. And Jesus says, I want you to give it to me. Don't give it to him. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 10. The thief, someone say the thief, the adversary, the father of lies, the the devil, his name before the fall was was Lucifer. He was one of the archangels, but he rebelled against God because he wanted to be worshipped. And he hates the father. And because he can't get to the father, you know what he does now? He hates his children. So he hates you simply by relationship, not anything you've done. The thief comes only to steal kill and destroy. He doesn't want to destroy your fantasy football team. doesn't want to destroy your, your home equity. He wants to destroy your soul. But the enemy, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I try, I'm trying to wake up some Christians that you have a soul that's the most valuable thing that you possess. And if you want to live a life that's flourishing, that's full of joy and, and, and full of purpose, you got to give it to Jesus. But the enemy... What's so crazy is that he'll, he'll, he won't steal it from you. He'll have you, he'll trick you to give it away. And one of the greatest lies the enemy ever told is that, another famous movie, Usual Suspects, the end of the movie, the greatest lie the devil ever told is that he doesn't exist. And if you do believe he exists, you reduce him down to a red person in a leotard, sit on your shoulder, trying to tempt you. Listen, Satan is, is fishing. He wants your soul, and he'll put whatever on the hook that will get you. He doesn't care if it's porn or weed or alcohol or fame. He'll put whatever it is on that hook to get you because he, he wants to drag you to hell. You ever wonder why your, your marriage is always under attack? You ever why on Mondays you feel like quitting? You ever wonder why there are days you can't sleep, you're overwhelmed with anxiety? It's not just the culture we live in. You are in a battle for your soul. And Satan wants it. And you got to realize, am I going to fight or am I going to forfeit? And listen, forfeiting is worse than losing. Because if you and I are in a battle or, or in a game, the end of the game, whoever scores more points wins. Forfeiting is not losing. It's, 
It's worse than losing. Forfeiting means you, you didn't even show up. You quit in the middle. I'd rather lose 10 times in a row than quit. Forfeiting is like biting your tongue and you're angry, but you're the only person you can be angry with is yourself. Because you're the only one that quit. And we live in what, in what I call a forfeit culture. We're giving up something to gain something else, but we don't realize we're losing out in the end. Uh, the gen, generation, I think it's called Gen X, the, the 18-year-olds that are living right now, they're the physically least active in the last 50 years. The army measures arm strength, and they measure how far you can throw a grenade. We're the weakest laziest generation they've seen in 50 years. We're really good at our thumbs, by the way. I can, like, surf Instagram and TikTok for hours. I'm really good at that. But when I was a kid in elementary school, boys would have to do 10 pull-ups, and girls would hang for a minute. Because we're so weak, boys hang for a minute, and girls don't even do that physical exercise anymore. It's crazy. We, we, we don't just forfeit physical exercise. We forfeit community. There was a book that was written about five years ago, 10 years ago, I'm sorry, called Bowling Alone, that we are the loneliest generation. That as our country gets lonelier, bowling is soaring through the roof. Why? Because we want to be around people, but because we don't know how to do relationships anymore because of social media, we want to be around them, but we're lonely. I wonder how many of you in this room, you're surrounded by people, but you have no friends. You're connected online, but you have no intimacy. We, we forfeit Language, BRB, LMK. What? I remember when I first started dating, Pastor, you asked someone, text me, is that your RLGF? I was like, wait, what did you just say? He's like, your real life girlfriend, Ali, come on. I was like, excuse me, we don't even speak English anymore. We forfeit patience. We, some of us, we yell at the microwave because it's not going fast enough. It's two minutes, bro, calm down. You ever see people in the drive through losing their minds? You're in an air-conditioned car holding your precious, and you're losing it. And I wrote down like this, that some of us here are making bad deals with the devil. You're gaining the world, but you're forfeiting your soul. You're trading your purpose for paper. You're giving up meaning for money, and you're giving up your calling for a career. And when I, the question is, I wonder, what is the cost of your will? How much are you willing to sell your values for? How much can your principles be taken from you? Because here's the big idea for the entire sermon. Your soul isn't taken. It's sold to the highest bidder. You're giving it away. Because you think something's more valuable than Jesus. Everyone in this room, you're either gaining or you're forfeiting. And often the thing that we're gaining, we think it's going to give us life and purpose and joy. And in the end, it lies to us. Jesus tried to tell us, you want to have the most fulfilling life. Love me with all of your heart. Fame won't do it. That's why Jim Carrey says, I wish everyone can be rich and famous and realize it doesn't satisfy. That's what this sermon's all about. It's a case study on two people. One's gaining and at the same time forfeiting, and the other one's gaining and forfeiting. And they're, they're both gaining and forfeiting different things. And the first is this unnamed woman. She brings this alabaster jar. This is the equivalent of her 401k, by the way. In that culture, this is what parents would hand on as an inheritance to their children. This is the most valuable thing that they own. In our culture, it's probably a home or a 401k or some heirloom. In that culture, it was perfume. And this woman, sometimes the very wealthy, when you died, you'd break it and you'd cover your body in this perfume as a, as a sign that 
this is the most valuable thing I possess. I can't take it with me, so I'm going to use it for my burial. Jesus is alive, and she's pouring it on him, saying, of all the things that I own, you're more valuable than that. And often commentaries will say this is what's called extravagant worship, where there's no restraint. You're going above and beyond. But I read this book about 10 years ago by Darlene Check. She started the Hillsong Worship Movement. And she says, we need to stop calling this story extravagant worship because it's not excessive. Because when you see what she's getting by what she's giving away, it's not even in comparison. She's getting eternal life, and she's giving away pennies. She's getting something she can't earn, can't work for, can never earn or, or achieve. And in light of the perfume, it's priceless. It's like buying a Ferrari for 1000 bucks. You would never call that excessive spending. Like, that's a great deal. What we, should, what we could, should call this woman's extravagant worship is reasonable response. When you see Jesus for who he is, you would give up everything for him. At the same time, in the same room, there's another person. And he doesn't want to worship. And he wants to gain something else and is going to forfeit something else. It's really hard to preach about Judas Iscariot. Let me just tell you. It's not fun, right? He's known as the betrayer. Like, what a great tagline. You know, like, you look up the word betrayer in the dictionary, and boom, he's there. And what's so crazy about Judas Iscariot is that this man spent three years with Jesus. He saw Jesus heal people. He saw the blind see again. He saw dudes in wheelchairs walk up and dance. This guy, not only that, he was anointed. He was sent out by Jesus to preach the gospel, and he healed people, not by his power, but by the power Jesus gave him. He casted demons out of people. He resurrected. He helped people who were sick get healed. He didn't have that power. He knew that power came from Jesus, and yet he was still willing to forfeit his relationship for 30 pieces of silver. I wrote down like this. He kissed the door of heaven, but he forfeited his soul. Jesus says, I'm the door. That no one can come to the Father except by me. He's inclusive and that he invites everyone, but at the same time, he's exclusive that he's the only way to heaven there's this old saying in our culture that all religions lead to god jesus says, no they don't only one does i'm the way the truth and the life you can't have a relationship with god except by me and judas iscariot kissed the door of heaven and they arrested him in the garden of gethsemane and the reason why i mentioned this and why it's so hard to preach about this is because judas wasn't just part of the dream team. If you're part of the dream team, can you just like make some noise? The dream team prepares this room. The, their teamwork makes the dream work. Listen, he wasn't just part of the dream team. He was on staff. He didn't just go to church. He worked there. And the principle is this. Just because you're in church doesn't mean ch church is in you. Just because you're in church doesn't mean Christ is in you. Because you, you can come every week. And your heart can be far from him. Jesus says in Matthew 7, one of the scariest things in the, all the Gospels, that many, not a few, many will come to him and say, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not preach? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Wow. That's crazy. That means you can show up every week, help, be part of the community of faith, but not have faith in Jesus. That's crazy to me. And Judas Iscariot is this dude who's in, but his heart isn't in. How does this happen? 
how do we prevent this ourselves? Because I come every week, I'm like, am I saved? No, I, I know that I am, but I, I want to use this case study of these two people to encourage you, to challenge you. And I think the first thing you got to realize is it's about proximity. Someone say proximity. proximity. I remember when I was a freshman in college, uh, uh, I, I was getting a computer science degree, but I, on the side, no one knew it, I was getting a minor in intramural sports. And if you know me, I'm ultra competitive. Like, I'm the guy that puts 400 milligrams of caffeine before the game, enough to kill an elephant, right? I'm, I'm listening to Eye of the Tiger. I'm showing up. I'm showing up an hour early writing scouting reports for the other team. Because second place is the first loser. Like, I'm, I'm intense. And the, the most annoying thing about intramural sports was playing with other people who didn't take it as intense as you. I'm like, well, I'm not here to have fun. I'm here to win, bro. Excuse me, Jesus redeemed me, okay? But the second most annoying thing was when you'd show up and the other team didn't even show up. If you spent all the, I'm like hyped up on like caffeine, ready to like run through a wall and I can't even do anything. And I think so many times I wrote it like this. Forfeiting in sports is similar to forfeiting your soul. Write this down, it's gonna help some of you. What you show up for determines what you gain and what you forfeit. Listen, proximity matters. Judas was in the room, but his heart wasn't. And what you show up for, it matters. Some of you, you'll never pass the test unless you show up to school. And God wants to bless you. Let me say that again. God wants to bless you, but some of you are in the wrong place at the wrong time. Look at this. It's not about me asking God to come to where I am. I want to show up to his presence. And what we don't realize is that Judas Iscariot, man, if you, if you look at the commentaries and read the books, there's not a lot of written about this guy. His name shows up like six or seven times. And like half of them, or when they're listing the 12 disciples, Peter's always mentioned first, and then his name is always mentioned last. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. And that's what we do, right? We remember people not by their good things, but by their, their mistake. It's Thomas the doubter. The guy had faith his whole life. But we remember him by his one mistake. I wonder how faithful, honest, how much integrity Judas actually had, but now we remember him by this one mistake. My point is this. It wasn't one thing. It was a lifestyle. And I, I saw something that I, I never saw before, that, that Judas... He's like that teammate where you, like we're playing football. I'm like, hey, bro, I'm going to cover this guy. You cover that guy. He's like, okay. He's like wandering off, like playing where's Waldo. Like he's on your team, but he's never in the right position. It's like, bro, what are you doing? And I want to show you, I want to challenge some of you as we read through the case study. How does it relate to you? Because we all think, oh, my gosh, I'm a snowflake. I'm the woman. I love Jesus like so much. And you don't. And I don't. And the point of this sermon is that you see Judas in yourself. And all of us are gaining and forfeiting. And what you show up for determines what you gain and what you forfeit. You ready for case study number one? It's going to help some of you. John chapter 12, 
starting at verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who, is, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Let me just say, pause and time out. In Mark chapter 12, what we read, we didn't know the hater. But now we know. Because you got to understand who wrote the Gospel of John versus who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Mark was never there in the presence of Jesus. He went to people who were actually there, and he wrote eyewitness accounts. John was in the room. He's like, I know who the hater was. He was drunk on haterade. It's Judas. And then in Mark chapter, John chapter 12, we, we, we know who the woman is. Because if you know your Bible, in John chapter 11, what happens? Lazarus is resurrected. Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. It's Mary, yeah. whose brother was dead for four days. She's from a very wealthy family. And when she sees her brother, who is dead and gone, come back, she says, of all the things that I own, Jesus, you're the most priceless, most valuable thing that I have. And she does this as an act of worship. Judas, though, because Jesus is not his God, your relationship with money reveals who your God is. He says, why why are we giving this away? This could have paid for a year's salary. Not because he cares about the poor. Because he loves money. And here's the, the, the thing I want you to wrestle with. He gains greed, but he forfeits worship. He gets more money in his pocket, but he forfeits the opportunity to worship. And the question is, when we do Vision Builders offering, and we do it every year, what do you respond in your heart? Oh, we got to do that again? Or is it, I can't wait to bring Jesus what he's done for me? It's not much, but it's an opportunity for me to worship. And when you're grumbling in your heart and you're saying, oh, I don't want to do this, it reveals you're gaining something, but you're forfeiting something else. And I want to encourage you, the most flourishing life is when you give Jesus your soul. Money will never satisfy you. A relationship that you're passionately in love with him because he's already in love with you will bring life to you. Everyone, what you gain, what you show up for determines what you gain and what you forfeit. You ready for the second case study? Mark chapter... No. Are we still... Wait, did I go too far ahead? Sorry. Let me continue reading. It was worth a year's salary. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself. And then we come to Mark chapter 14. While they were reclining at the table... Jesus, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Let me give you the context of what's going on. Uh, The Israelites, they were in slavery for 400 years. And God raised up a a deliverer named Moses. And the king of Egypt was this dude who was super prideful, didn't want to worship God. He thought himself was God. And Moses shows up in nine times all these plagues, proving that you're not God, but Yahweh is. And on the 10th one, God tells Moses, I'm going to kill the firstborn and everyone in this country. Crazy. But he says, if you want to live by faith, someone say by faith. Take an innocent lamb and put its blood over the doorpost of your your house and death will pass over. And Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and telling them the story. I'm the Passover lamb. That when you place your faith in me, death will pass over you. 
And he's telling them about communion. Communion is about my body being broken to pay your penalty of sin. And my blood's about to be shed is a covenant that you and I will never be out of relationship. And then he pauses and says, yet, you know, there's 11 of you in the room. One of you is going to betray me. And look at the response from the disciples. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me for 15 years. I thought that they were responding like Peter. I, I'm, I'll never betray you. I always thought it, was, it won't be me, exclamation point. I saw something different preparing for the sermon. It's a question mark. What they're really saying is, man, I've already betrayed you a hundred times in the last three years. Am I going to do it again? I would have to raise your hand. But you don't just betray Jesus before you become a Christian. It never stops. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, God's faithful when we're unfaithful. And a heart of humility says, man, I've, I've let him down so many times. I don't know why he keeps loving me. And the disciples, that's what they're saying. Man, I, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to mess up again. And I love their response. They're like, Jesus, is it me? Could you just forgive me now? I haven't done it yet. Can you forgive me now? It's like this heart of worship, knowing that you can't earn God's love. He already loves you. But I want your forgiveness, Jesus. But Judas, I didn't read it to you. His response is very different. He knows he's going to mess up, and he runs. My question is for you is, what do you do after you mess up? Do you want to sleep in and not come to church? Do you want to be around Christians because you're nervous after you click that link, after you smoke that joint, after you do whatever it is that you do? How do you respond? And here's the case study. He gains distance, but he forfeits community. You always leave the people of faith before you leave your faith. Stop hanging out with Christians, and eventually your faith dies. Judas doesn't want to be around other. Listen, I wish I was in the room and I could have told Judas, don't leave, bro. We, we all betray him. You can come to him. He, he won't let you down. I, I love that Jesus challenges us. He comes after us. And that's what the job of the Holy Spirit, to convict us of sin. Amen? But it's not meant to crush us under the weight of our guilt. It's meant to draw us into a relationship with Jesus. Satan wants to shame you and embarrass you and have you be isolated. The Holy Spirit wants to convict you to come into community. It's different. One is, the devil will say, I can't believe you did that. You are, and it becomes your identity. When, when the Holy Spirit says, you did this, but this is who I see you as. See, the devil will shame. Shame says, you didn't just make a mistake, you are a mistake. God never shames. He convicts. He says, you're better than this. You're royalty. I have my blood in your veins. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. I adopted you to my family. Do you know who you are? And the conviction is meant to raise you up, not beat you down. That's why I love John 3.17. God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. Amen. Anybody grateful for Jesus? Come on. And Judas, he, he gains distance, but he forfeits community. And this last one's the heaviest. I just need to warn you. Matthew 27. When Judas, who had betrayed him, the context, this is Friday. They have 
They've arrested Jesus Thursday night. They put him on a false trial. They've scourged him, which means they've ripped the skin off his back. They hung him on a cross at 9 a.m., and three hours later, he's dead. But he didn't, they didn't take his life. He laid it down. Anybody grateful for that? Jesus lays his life down to pay for our sin. And, and Judas, realizing that he was on the wrong side of destiny, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and he went away, and he hanged himself. I just got to pause. This is extremely heavy, given that the last 30 months we've been in COVID, mental health is, a, mental health is awareness is at an all-time high, Mental health is at an all-time low. People are hurting. People are, they, they say right now, the high schoolers right now, it's the highest level of depression in any generation. And to hear that, man, I messed up, maybe the best thing to do is to end my life. And I, I didn't write it down, but I want to say it like this. Don't make a permanent decision on a temporary emotion. Right. Judas, he well, it was supposed to meant him to bring him to Jesus. It becomes so overwhelming, he can't handle it. And he makes a permanent decision on temporary pain. I wrote it like this. He gains temporary relief, but he forfeits eternal life. Wow. What you show up for determines what you gain and what you forfeit. I wish I could have been there with Judas. I said, bro, you don't need to leave. We all betrayed Jesus. And man, what, what is so crazy when you read the story of Jesus, Judas was not the only one who betrayed Jesus in a, in a royal way. Peter, the one whose name is always mentioned first, denies Jesus three times. I promise you, he felt like killing himself. I promise you, he's like, I don't deserve to live. I, I let God down but he stayed alive. And on Sunday, his hopes were reversed. I wish Judas, I wish Judas would have just stayed alive for two more days and realized, man, you cannot sin that God will stop loving you. What you show up for determines what you gain and what you forfeit. If you want the most fulfilling, most joyful, the most flourishing life, the most valuable thing that you possess is your soul. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. Give it to Jesus. Your 401k will never satisfy you. That blue check mark on IG never will. A thousand, 10,000 followers won't do it. A career, a body won't do it. Fame won't do it. Only Jesus satisfies. I wrote down like this. Maybe this will speak to you. The wrong gain is actually a loss. Our whole life, we're told the thing that we all need to sacrifice and put our family away, lose our friends over, is to hustle to get the American dream. And your life might be looking real good today. Money where you want to be, boyfriend where you want to be, girlfriend where you want to be, marriage where you want to be. But I'm telling you, mark Jesus' words. He's not a liar. You can gain all that stuff, but if you've not surrendered over to him, it will not satisfy. It's a loss. 
because he's the only one that gives peace. He's the only one that gives purpose. Judas gained money, but he forfeited his soul. And on the other hand, this woman, she brought the most viable thing that she had, and I wrote down like this, the right forfeit is actually a gain. You think you're losing when you're giving. You're winning. You're gaining. But it doesn't feel that way. It's crazy because Judas, he's no different than us. It was one compromise at a time. I'll just take a little bit here. Oh, no. You know how you forfeit your soul? One compromise at a time. And we just think, oh, man, I just want to avoid the big mistake. I don't want to sell them out for 30 pieces of silver. That wasn't what doomed Judas. So that every day he had a choice to gain Jesus and to forfeit something else. And repeatedly and constantly, he forsaked Jesus and wanted something else. He kept greed and he forfeited worship. He kept distance and forfeited community. And he got temporary relief and he gave up eternal life. And in the end, he lost his soul. And what's the redeeming message is this? I wrote down like this. Jesus, or Judas, he sold. What Judas sold, Jesus bought back. When Jesus on a cross, he's saying, I know you betrayed me. You're no different than Judas. And what you have given up, what you have sold, because no one takes your soul, you give it away to the highest bidder. That's why Jesus came. Not for good people, but for sinners like me. Sinners like Judas. I just wish Judas would have just stayed alive two more days. And could have gained eternal life. If you can bow your heads. Close your eyes. God, I pray for the people in this room. I pray for myself, God. This isn't just a message I'm preaching. It's a message I need. There are so many things, God, that I love more than you. That I value more than you. And what I show up for determines what I gain and what I forfeit. God, teach me what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Jesus, help me with my fear of giving up something to gain something even better. You, Jesus. I pray for every person in this room that can hear the sound of my voice. That you're gonna, some of you are going to give up gossip. You're going to Surrender that moving forward. Some of you are going to give up insecurity. You're going to give that up moving forward. Some of you give up shame. You're going to release your secret sin. And you're going to stop living this double life. Some of you, it's, it's money that's holding you back from a deeper relationship with God. It's okay. We all struggle. Pray for every person in this room that can hear the sound of my voice. God, I pray a special prayer for those that have not yet started a relationship with you, with every eye closed and every head bowed. And maybe you never knew that Jesus was the Passover lamb, that he didn't come to give us a, a religion or some teachings. He came to shed his blood so that death would pass over us. And that he instituted communion 
so that we would take it as an act of faith. I'm believing that Jesus dying on a cross for me pays for my penalty of sin, and that his blood being shed guarantees my salvation. If that's you this, this morning, and you want to receive the free gift of salvation. On a count of three in a moment, I want you to just shoot your hand up if you've never prayed that prayer before. One, two, three. If that's you this morning. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. Just pray this prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven for me. That you lived a sinless, perfect life so that you could be my sacrifice. Thank you, God, that you're faithful even when I'm not. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation that you didn't purchase me with perfume or silver and gold, but with your blood. I repent, Jesus, from my ways and I turn towards you. As much as I know now, I give you my heart. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And everybody said... Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon.